This is PRP Movies. I'm Jason. I'm Michael. Jason, what are we talking about today? Today, we are going to discuss 1983's The Bean. Now, originally, it was completed in 1980 for release in Easter of 1981, but they couldn't find a distributor for a couple years. In fact, its original title was Easter Sunday. Correct. And so, Michael, what are we going to be drinking while we discuss this fantastic movie? Well, we are going to be drinking a beer called Hop Diggity from Mother Earth Brewing. Mother Earth Brewing started in Vista, California, and then in 2016, I believe, they opened a brewery in Nampa, Idaho, which is significant because the being takes place in the fictional town of Pottsville, Idaho. They film on location both in a small town of Meridian, Idaho, and it's said on IMDb also, Boise, Idaho. I actually looked up the diner. I looked up Meridian, Idaho, and you could still see where the movie was shot. So One thing we do know from this movie is it's, it's potato country, and it's a big deal. Yes. Potato is big money. My initial reaction to the beer, I like it. It's hoppy. So if you're not an IPA fan, this is probably... You're not. not this isn't going to change your mind. Because no. it is. It's, it, it, <laughs> the hops jumps right up at you on the nose. Um, you, get, you get a lot of citrus, orange. I get pineapple kind of in the middle there. Got a bite to the end. Bite at the end. Yeah, it's dry and it has that distinct bite at the end. I like the it's smell. It's tasty. I, yeah, it's tasty. It's hot out here today. This is refreshing. But it is a double IPA. And for people who aren't big Indian Pale Ale fans, this might be... It's not going to be in their wheelhouse. Yeah, I, I would agree. It, it's it's 8.2%. It's, yeah, it's it's a sneaky one. Yeah. Because it's <laughs> it's very easy to put a couple down. And then realize I'm staying home. I think this is necessary <laughs> to discuss this movie. So, Michael, why don't you start okay. on why this movie was chosen? So, I found this movie and I watched it and I went, wow, this isn't very good. But it's weird and it's bad. And so, of course, when that happens, I have to tell Jason, hey, check this movie out. And so... Then, not thinking, I mean, I thought this might be something I'll keep in the back of my head to add to our list and do a show on it. And then I saw, went on to our our drive, and I looked, and Jason had added it to the list. <laughs> and I went, okay. So, and I, I do have to ask you, did you add it before or after you watched it? After I watched it, I thought, this is a movie that needs some discussion. But I felt like, you know, this is a perfect example of a movie. It hits everything. It's a genre. It's produced by a no-name production company. It had trouble finding a release date. The actors and actresses in this are either unknown or they're known. Like Martin Landau is the biggest star in this. And this was during a lull in his career. After the height of Mission Impossible and Space 1999, he was making these made-for-TV movies and disaster movies. Before in the late 80s were all of a sudden and Crimes and Misdemeanors, and then Ed Wood. So this was kind of a lull. Ruth Buzzy's in it. Ruth Buzzy. Jose Ferrer. Jose which is Fer- interesting because I think Jose Ferrer and Mark Lando were somewhat regular yeah. on Columbo in yeah. the 70s. I do have to jump in quick because one thing, you know, the, the B movie is usually a small budget. This movie actually had $4.5 million of Bill Osco's money. His hard-earned <laughs> coin from the erotic movies he made in the 70s. But $4.5 million in 1980, that's not necessarily a low budget. I, I agree. And everything... And I don't they, know where they put it. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Like, everywhere <laughs> you look, you'll find that $4.5 million was used to make this movie. Uh, we yeah. have our ideas. I'm hard-pressed to find where they spent this money. Particularly in contrasting one of the movies that we, we've already watched and will beyond the show is the alien dead which same period but for fourteen thousand dollars and honestly comparing these except you know they had more of actors and actresses in this it's hard for me to say that there's a big difference and it's like fourteen thousand to four point five million i'm still gonna say it generally meets the b b movie I except it, this michael's is, this right. is a b movie it, they just they squandered the four four point five million dollars. Maybe that went all went to Martin Lando, Ruth Buzzy, the unknown comic, Kinky Friedman went all to their salary yeah. to be in this movie. <laughs> so give a quick synopsis of 
We're in Pottsville, Idaho, and it's a staging ground for a new idea to get rid of nuclear waste. They're just going to dump it into the aquifers, the water supplies for cities all over the country. And Mark Landau is the scientist who's supposed to convince the public this is a good idea. What ends up happening is something gets mutated into the being, which is the title, and kills people and disappears them. I sound a little lost because the movie is so confusing and they do a terrible job of getting all this across. We had to really, we had to go searching around to figure out the exact plot because it's the being. But it seems like there's several dozen beings in this town. We have a cop, Bill Osco, who's going by Rex with two X's, Coltrane. That's his name at the intro. And in the end credits, it's Johnny Commander. I don't really like him. <laughs> so... This takes place over three days. It's like a Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And the radio DJ starts each of the each of the days. And you know it's the beginning of the days because he gives a body count of the number of disappearances in the small town. Plus, he gives you the weather. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and we also get the voiceover in the beginning as we get this sort of panning shot over the little town. We get what I can only assume is the voiceover for the trailer. That tells us we're in Pottsville, Idaho, and the storm is coming in. Weird things are happening everywhere, and people are going missing, including a little kid. And it's this very much like the trailer boys. Like You're right. You have a radio DJ doing an intro to this movie, which I actually think is done really well. But then another voiceover on top of that sounds exactly like a commercial, and the exact words are, Strange and unexplained events are occurring. Some people are missing. Among them, a little child. The ultimate terror has taken form. I honestly think they filmed their commercial trailer and put it as part of the movie. 100%. And again, this is a tiny little town. They aren't acting like all of this stuff is happening. So, before we dive further into the movie, let's talk about the actual creature. Because maybe the $4.5 million budget was spent on the creature effects. Michael, I can't keep track of this creature's powers how big it is how small it is i just don't know at one point it's a cyclops that's all i really know yes with the close-up of the eye moving around they're like oh we got the eye moving that's pretty creepy our first little kind of taste of it is after these voiceovers we cut to a young teenager who looks like one of the kids from stranger things Mm -hmm. and he's running through a dump i think it's the actual dump site yeah which shows that they're not spending a lot of money on no. keeping this dump site. It, to <laughs> me, it looked like the set, the area used in every Road Warrior Mad Max ripoff yeah. of the early 80s. So this kid's running. He's running. He's scared. He is running for his life. And he sneak gets through a fence and he runs. Next thing you know, he's in a junkyard and he's squatting next to a car. Then he gets into the car. I assume at first it's his car. And he starts the car and speeds off. All of a sudden, there's a thump. The car shakes, and he looks up. Oh, no, something's on the car. And then something punches through the roof, grabs his head, and tears it off. Pretty powerful creature. That's, yeah, that's insane. However, throughout the movie, that creature doesn't do these things. At one point, someone opens a door, and it starts to reach through, and they close the door, and they're able to close the door, and it's fingers, and it's, ow, I'm done. It punches another guy, throws him around, but doesn't kill him because he's the hero of the movie. It's just such an inconsistent creature. And also when we do get the reveal, I do believe it looks like a mutated potato. It has a potato-like shape. (laughs) I don't know if that was on purpose. It also is able to turn into goo or leave goo behind and basically transition from goo by excreting itself through air filters and cars (laughs) and turning into a monster. And it has tentacles sometimes, hands sometimes. It's got one... What is what is the kryptonite for this Apparently thing? Apparently a pipe and sulfuric acid could do this thing in. But what else? <laughs> There's something else. Oh, light. Yes. So apparently <laughs> Dr. Garson Jones, played by Martin Landau, at one point he was able to determine, and I don't know how he determined this, that light destroys this creature. I, I, I don't know. That's a great point. And, and yet at the end they don't use any light to kill it. So no. This was, is a pretty... a throwaway. Yeah. The, the only time it's it ever really comes to fruition is when they trap it in a cool freezer in a diner. And it condenses to goo. But they don't utilize this very well. 
But it's we're talking about the creature's powers. Yes. And I'm I'm gonna say you could tell that aliens had an impact on the movie because every time you see and it's about an hour and 16 minutes into this movie before you actually see the full creature. And sometimes it's very small and it fits in a hole. And sometimes it's it looks huge. It's huge. And sometimes it looks like it's a sack of salad being thrown through a doorway into a car. <laughs> it's hard for me to like put my arms around its powers. Suffice to say, at least a detective in the town thinks it's dangerous. After the kid gets his head ripped off, the car crashes yeah. into a bunch of boxes. So it ripped the kid's head off in the car, punched through the roof, yeah. ripped the head off. They, The cops are looking around. There's no blood in the car. There's Just some green goo. goo. The creature leaves green goo, but it dismembers people, punches through them. The DJ every day mentions, oh, these people are going missing. But I don't know how you can think someone's gone missing. There should be blood everywhere. Nobody ever addresses. There's clearly something is punched through the roof. And they, these guys are such geniuses, they can't find... The VIN number. The, no, these are not good detectives. <laughs> They're terrible. They're, They're terrible. They're terrible at their job. Because they tow it back, and uh, Detective Mortimer Lutz, who is our hero... Played by Bill Osco. Played poorly. It, it's his $4.5 He should have put some of that into acting lessons for himself. <laughs> he was hor- he's really just dull. Uh, I agree with you, Michael. I think that... Out of everybody in this movie, even the teenagers who are probably just throwaway actors and actresses, he delivers his line like a cardboard statue. And it, it's worth noting, he gets like sixth billing in the credits. Mark Landau, Jose Ferrer, Dorothy Malone, Ruth Buzzy all get top billing over him. Well, let's take this moment and talk about some of those actors and actresses. <laughs> One of the main leads is Dr. Garson Johnson. Who is that played by? Martin Landau. <laughs> He's always chewing on the end piece of his glasses, but at no point, and I'm, I'm pretty sure at no point is he ever wearing glasses, but he's always <laughs> carrying glasses, and he's always like, he has it that classic movie scientist where he's, Chewing on the earpiece, like, hmm. And then he's running tests. He's always running tests. Or going, he's either running tests or going to run tests. That's what he does. Who and, and I, all I'm going to say is that I'm going to quote some lines from him. Because out of everybody in this movie, he does the best job for the role. He's supposed to play a government scientist hack. And he does a great job. But who else is in this movie that we have? Jose Ferrer, who I really know from, like, he did a lot of Columbo. Dorothy Malone was an actress. She actually is an Oscar winner. Jose Ferrer was Oscar winner too. 1950 Academy Award for Best Actor, Cyrano de Bergerac. Okay, so then we have two Oscar at, at the time <laughs> yeah. won an Oscar, and then Mark Landau ended up winning an Oscar. Ruth Buzzy, who if you ever watched Laughing, Laughin'. there's a bunch of names, and then you have randos. Murray Langston. This is such a like 70s type movie. Oh, absolutely. It's so weird. It's so 70s because Murray Langston, for those of you who don't know, was a guy named the Unknown Comic. He'd put a paper bag over his head and tell horrible jokes, but he was a hit. He had like his star was big for like five seconds in the 70s, right around when streaking was a thing. <laughs> Watch, go back and find some old episodes of The Gong Show with Chuck Barris. Yeah. And you'll find Murray Langston. <laughs> Kinky Friedman. And Kinkin Friedman is one of these, you know, this Jewish Texan. <laughs> I, I think his band is Kinky Friedman and the Texas Jew Boys. Yes. Very small role. My personal guess was Bill Osco, because he was doing, yeah. like, the sexy movies in the yeah. 70s. Maybe they, they all cross paths there at some, like, you know, sexy parties. Yeah. And they're like, <laughs> you know, do you, do you want to come do cocaine in yeah, Idaho <laughs> and get paid for it? And they're like, why not? Can you throw in some... some that, cr- and this is just our oil. theory. Yeah, this, this is just our theory. theory. Like, let's be clear. Oh, like, we have uh, nothing. This, this might is... get cut out. Yeah. This might, yeah. No, no, it's like, it's throwing some Crown Royal, and we're there. And maybe we should point out that Jackie Kong was 26 years old at the time. I think she began dating Bill Osco, and he gave her the money. He was impressed with her story. She, I believe she was a CSUN graduate. So for people who aren't from California, that's Cal State University of Northridge out there in the San Fernando Valley. She made four movies. And it's funny because after watching this, I've seen three of her movies. She had Night Patrol, The Underachievers, Blood Diner, and The Bean. And I've seen Blood Diner. <laughs> I've seen... Night Patrol, which also stars, I think the lead in Night Patrol is Marie Langston. And I've seen now The Bean. She was a, this young woman director. I don't know what she pursued afterwards, but recently 
She's very active in the woman whore. Like, you could go onto her website. She's an active website. They have shown Blood Diner recently at one of our favorite movie theaters before this big COVID pandemic. But she was at the New Art, the New Beverly, and she even did a showing of, at, down in Orange County of Chapman University of Blood Diner. It's interesting to me that it was written by a woman. It was directed by a woman. Women don't get elevated in this at all. In fact, women are treated in just a very subjugated, passive, weak roles. You know, Ruth Buzzy and her her wishes from her husband are completely cast aside. That she's Mayor Lane's wife. They play her off as like the grating, brow-beating wife. And the other lead is Dorothy Malone. She plays Marge Smith, one of the Academy Award winners, and she is just wandering around She's broken. She actually does a pretty good job because yeah. her son, Michael, is missing. I always assumed the young man in the beginning is Michael. The young man who gets his head ripped off is Michael. But the way she acts feels like her son's been missing longer. His room doesn't look like a teenager's room no. at her house. Dorothy Malone, even at this point, was a little old to be having an, an infant. Again, this plot, I don't know how the script looked. I didn't read it. But the way they laid it out on film is so flipping confusing. It, multiple viewings didn't necessarily help me. No. Multiple viewings actually make this movie. You know, sometimes you watch a movie and you and you go, oh, I'm, oh, I didn't catch that. I'm learning this. This movie, you watch it and you just get more confused. It's a very interesting movie in that respect. Every frame of this movie is problematic. <laughs> well, let's let's turn and talk about radiation ecology. Clearly, that has an impact. It was made in 1980, so you assume she was writing this and it started in the late 70s. The 70s was huge for a lot of these, you know, ecological horror films. You know, you had It's Alive, Prophecy, Food of the Gods, Piranha, Kingdom of the Spiders. You had the EPA was invented. Uh, Earth Day was started in 1969. So you had all of these things that were about the environment. People were very concerned about the environment. And what we did to the environment was going to come back on us. This movie takes a little bit from everything and throw in a sprinkle of Jaws because it's, you know, there's corruption because it's potato country. And there's the mayor doesn't want... Basically, people are being stolen and attacked by this monster. And the mayor is like the mayor in Jaws. He's like, he's like hey, keep this quiet because I sell potatoes. Yeah. This is not a destination town. So if somehow news got out, hey, there's people disappearing from the small town... Are people who are going to their local supermarket at the time going to stop buying potatoes? I, it makes no sense, but you're right. It's exactly like Jaws. His, like, deny everything, I'm, nothing's going wrong. I'm boycotting Pottsville potatoes because there's people missing. In fact, at one point, it's, it's interesting because he doesn't even want it to be investigated. When Lutz, for some reason... The police can't investigate anything without specific permission. It's very, in this again, confusing because in the scene, he wants, Lutz says, hey, there's something weird going on. I've got to investigate. And you're the only one who okayed the investigation. And the mayor goes, no, I'm selling potatoes. You can't have an investigation. And then in the same scene at the end, he says, you know, you watch this investigation, Lutz, or you're in trouble. <laughs> That's how police works in a small town. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> As Michael mentioned, there's this ecological horror band in movies at the time. Before World War II, nuclear energy and radiation were, thing, were seen as like this positive and early sci-fi, sci-fi stories. And after the dropping of the bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, all of a sudden it, it moves to where this may have a negative impact. And a lot of movies during the 40s and 50s, radiation served as the onus to make giant bugs or lizards or monsters from Godzilla to the giant Gila monster to a giant praying mantis. Um, but at the same time, the scientists at the time usually use, you know, the scientific method or even radiation itself to stop these creatures. Then we move into the 70s and the Vietnam War and Nixon. People don't trust the government. 1979, we had the release of the China Syndrome movie. And then within a week of that release, Three Mile Island actually happened in the United States. So no doubt Jackie, when she's writing this movie... Those were deep in her thoughts. And so we're faced once again where radiation is now, nuclear energy is a negative force. And you can't trust government scientists. So 
Martin Landau an excellent job as this government scientist hack. I mean, he would fit perfectly now on a lot of talk radio stations and certain news stations because he, instead of addressing the question, he deflects and says, oh, it's the press. Your sensationalistic news stories are cause more harm than actual radiation. Keep in mind, his job is to convince people, you know what, we got a bunch of nuclear waste. My great idea is to put it in your water. That's a tough ask. Yeah. You've got you've got to be pretty slick. You got to be pretty oily to be able to sell that to people. And he goes on television on a news program and drinks the water from says, the aquifer. I'm totally cool. And I'll had, drink it. And he he was prepared for that newscast. He brought his own Geiger counter and he tests the water. And he's like, "Look, there's more radiation coming off my wristwatch. Yeah. So I'm not concerned about this at all. You shouldn't be concerned. It's just news pressing this." sensationalistic stories that are going to put fear in people's heart. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, but his dump site honestly looks like a third grader put together. Putting it right next to a junkyard and you're just throwing stuff in there. Yeah. There's canisters everywhere. I don't know enough about how you store nuclear waste, but there seems to involve a lot of deadly cyanide gas and sulfuric acid. Yes, when, when we get to the end, when we get to the big alien ripoff climax of the movie, that we're going to really get into giant tanks of cyanide that serve what purpose, I don't know, but they don't hurt anything. So after they take this car, they can't identify. They, they tow it. Mortimer Lutz, he's got a mechanic, I guess. I don't know. He works for whoever. The city They're, impound they, they, yard. <laughs> they can't find the VIN number on the car. And Lutz says, I got to go in and make a call. So the guy opens the trunk. Nobody looked in the trunk. The being's in there for some reason. It tore the kid's head off and then climbed in the trunk. And then Mortimer Lutz comes out. And then we get a new kind of voiceover, but we're inside Mortimer Lutz's head. He comes walking out. And we hear his thoughts. And his thoughts basically, you know, end up being, he sees a flashlight in the ground. His thoughts are, oh, what's this guy doing leaving a flashlight laying around? Probably went off to take a leak. And then he picks up the flashlight and he immediately finds the VIN number. Doesn't really seem to care where the guy ended up. <laughs> he is a horrible police officer. He's just he the, no the worst, the worst <laughs> police officer. I think I identified where some money went, because they do have a Fleetwood Mac song in this movie. I don't know oh, how that works. Interesting. We cut to some teenagers tearing off to go to the movies, and they're listening to Fleetwood Mac's I Don't Want to Know. Maybe that's where they spent the money, music rights. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how it worked back then. They go to the, the drive-in where there's this really bad movie, but actually looks more interesting than the being. There's All these, all these kids are at the drive-in, and they're watching a movie where a young woman who's naked, of course. Painting her toes. Painting her toes. And then a creature comes running up, runs through the window, jumps through the window and attacks her. The creature is clearly just a painted sleeping bag. Someone, it looks like a sleeping bag, has that kind of, you know, ribbing the stitching. See, I thought it was a pill bug it, monster. It, but the thing is, if you think about a pill bug, yeah. it looks kind of like a sleeping bag. So it's attacking her. People are screaming. And I mean, this this group of teenagers is screaming in such a cheeseball way. Disclaimer, there's a little bit of profanity coming up. There's a couple of stoners. I don't know why, but this just made me laugh out loud. The, the young couple is making out. The being is apparently in their trunk. Don't know how it got there. And it's oozing out through their air filters. It starts filters. oozing out. I don't know how you get from the trunk to the I air filters. I have no idea. Oh, it's just so messy. And then it attacks and kills the, these two teens that are getting getting frisky. Then we go to a couple stoners who are just getting high and watching the movie. And the head of the being pops up in the driver's side. And the passenger guy goes, whoa, what's that, man? And the other stoner looks and he goes, this place will do anything to make a buck. <laughs> The movie don't scare you, so they send this joker out. I'll tell him to fuck off. And then he rolls the window down and just says, fuck off. <laughs> and the being grabs him and pulls him out. I don't know why. They just cracked me up. So Mortimer Lutz gets the call. You got to come out. People went missing. People have been, you know, torn apart again, but nobody left any blood. Mortimer Lutz, he shows up to investigate. His police skills, he has none. He opens the car that the young couple 
We have no idea what happens to these bodies. I'm assuming the bean ingests them some way and either turns them to goo or he leaves goo as part of it or gelatin. Hard to determine what this is. It's but Marvel Lutz literally opens the car door and rather than you know take a flashlight saying, okay, this was a crime scene to investigate, he just goes and sits right in the car and he's like, ah, I sat in something. It's a bunch of goo. Yeah, we're not talking like a little piece of dog. No, it's like a whole, his there's, whole pants are covered. There's goo everywhere in the car. The green slime. And then... Then he finds a hole next to the stoner's car. That's a tell because... That's, hmm. There's a, a hole, I'd say a little bit bigger than a coffee can. Yeah. I mean, it's not a huge hole. This is a part of the tell of the movie. This is how the bean is apparently... Bean is traveling through an underground tunnel network. At one point at the very end, Garson Jones, they find that a bunch of tunnels lead to this area that's on the nuclear dump site. And... This is one of the time. It doesn't make a lot of sense because this is like, like Michael said, the size of a coffee can. And, and, and it's really interesting that he was able to find a network. Yes. He said there's a network of tunnels that goes all over underneath the town. This is a three-day movie. It takes place in three days. So when, I can't wait. When we get to that point, because he does so much in his overnight camping expedition. So after the drive-in... This creature, I don't know if it can read minds or what it does if it stole a phone book. Because more, he's been up a while. Yeah. He's been working. He's tired. It's a hard Saturday night for him. It's just, boy, Pottsville, is a, yeah. there's a lot going on. There's a lot he going on. He should have on. one of these beers. I yeah. mean, we're on the second one. Which, yes, it's interesting because the hole, you, you have to dig a hole. And this is hop diggity. Yeah. So... <laughs> You know, but it, it goes down quite smooth. Cheers. Cheers. It's <laughs> a great beer. It's a very fruity and, and yummy. And this would have probably calmed Mort down, you know, taking the edge off. <laughs> yeah. Boy, uh, maybe give him a little personality because he's just, he's dull. And he's a hero of the movie and it's really hard to watch. He's almost as bad as Trash from the Bronx, <laughs> 1990. <laughs> Mark goes home. He needs some Z's, man. Yeah. He pulls his sheets back. His bed is completely filled with the green goo for some reason and he's like oh boy what the hell and the being is under his bed it fails to get him and he runs out of his house the being this thing can run down a speeding car jump on top of the roof punch through the roof and tear someone's head off mortimer lutz who is decidedly unathletic he runs away and the thing can't catch him. But he's running, he sees a train is coming and he goes, oh, if I can get beyond that, then maybe I, you know, this thing won't get me. So he runs and jumps in front and it's pretty, it's pretty close. They, that's a, that's a stunt right there because yeah. that, I don't think that they were, there's no CGI. So yeah. he gets on the other side, the train goes by, the being is gone. And that ends our first day with the being and the next day is Sunday. It's Easter Sunday. Another odd scene in Mayor's wife is leading the Easter egg hunt, and you see this small girl, Susie, clearly a toddler. She's walking around, and she's trying to grab eggs. She's adorable. Oh, she is. And she, I believe it's it's Bill Osco's and Jackie Kong's. I believe it's their daughter. And she's so cute, and she's trying to get Easter eggs, and other kids are stealing it. And she finds one of the bean's holes. And this is where I'm confused, because she reaches, she there's a red egg rolls into the hole. I don't know what I'm seeing. It seems like the bean can force itself into a small hole with just its hand. And she reaches in. The bean, it looks like it gave her the winning Easter egg. But in the hole, and there's a hand and yeah. then there are a bunch of eggs. Yeah. But it, they're not the toy Easter eggs. They look like real eggs. So It's confusing. I, I think was they, sober when I watched this. <laughs> and I was so confused. We go to Monday. Garson is in his lab. Now, apparently, they've suddenly set up a lab in Pottsville. He's got this a partner, and the guy is just handling this green goo. It's just like nobody, in the most un unscientific way, no gloves on, anything. Garson is looking at this printout of something. He's, he gets a very serious, yeah. earnest look on his face. Something's going, and he goes, whoa. He's very concerned about some of the readings he's getting from the tests. He's always running. At that scene also, he's interviewed by the press again. Dr. Garson says, well, I'm going to go and spend the night in the site because it's completely safe. And he invites the news reporter to join him. The next scene, Mort goes back to Lori, his love interest in the movie, who is really not a very good boyfriend. To. No. But I think it's small. It's Slim Pickens in Pottsville, yeah. Idaho. He's concerned. All this stuff's gone down. He knows something's out there. So he goes and he tells Lori, Hey, when, when do you get off? And she says 7.30. So he says, you know, wait for me. I'll come back. I don't want you 
leaving here on your own. For some reason, she has to park like it seems like a quarter mile away from her from her job. I don't I don't know why that is. You know, it's like she couldn't park right out in front. I digress. I'm thinking too much about this movie because it's just ridiculous. So he goes home and he goes to sleep. Mortimer Lutz has this dream sequence that's in black and white. I'm not sure why this dream sequence is in the movie except for the fill-out time and to show, hey, I'm a film school student and I'm going to do something in black and white with symbols and imagery. I don't know if it's if it's foreshadowing that Dr. Garson's going to die. And you knew there, in, a, in a horror movie there's going to be a body count. I, for the life of me, Jason, what... What happened in the dream? Mortimer Lutz is finally playing with Dr. Garson. And then the creature rips Dr. Garson out of the plane. And Dr. Garson, he's yelling at Lutz to grab the steering wheel. And then it's an odd scene with Ruth Buzzy, who she looks like Samantha from Bewitched on a broomstick shows up. And she's bleeding from the eyes. And she says, it's all in your mind. <laughs> and scene, Mortimer Lutz wakes up. He's like... His phone is ringing. Yes. He gets woke up by Dr. Garson because Dr. Garson, for some reason, he decided it's completely safe to go out there and camp, but it's not so safe that he doesn't need a rifle. Exactly. Because he's out there with the gun and he's calling Lutz and he's he's freaked out. He's saying, you need to get out here. He's found now. something. Now. And Lutz is like, oh, all right. And then, he, then he's like, oh my God, Lori. He shows up at 11.45, and Lori waited for him. To be fair, she didn't. She waited until 11.45, hey. then she left. That's true. And she's walking to her car, and they meet coming around the corner. That's true. And, and he's like, why didn't you wait for me? Which, at that point, that's when you tell a man, we're done. Yeah. <laughs> like, why didn't you wait for me? I waited four hours and 15 minutes, you idiot. Wherever Mortimer Lutz parks in this small town, it looks like it's inner city. There's graffiti, there's grime, there's towering buildings. But every time you pull out, it's just a small town. It's also worth noting, wherever he parks, something happens. And one of the times he's walking back to his car, he gets in his car, and all of a sudden, it's the scariest part of the movie. It's the only (laughs) scary thing, because all of a sudden you see in the dark, you see these two eyes open, and they're really white with like really dark... And something's there, and he pulls a gun out. And it ends up being the town drunk, Mo. And again, he had parks blocks away and then walks to the diner. There's no logical sense, so except they wanted the scene to put in there. <laughs> there's, but what it does do is they walk back to the car, they open the door, and all of a sudden, like, you can picture someone off screen throwing... A sack of potatoes. A sack of potatoes <laughs> at them. It's supposed to be a the being, or a being... Yeah. This movie should have been beings, plural. And it just comes flying out of nowhere. And he's like, look out! And it goes into the car and he slams the car door on it. They run back into the diner. Then there's this cat and mouse in the diner. The beans in there and Mortimer's turn around. And he thinks, he honestly thinks at one point that Lori has been taken by the bean. But then she shows up and shuts the bean into the, the freezer. Mortimer Lutz, a detective, he's going to resolve this. They have it. They have a creature, defies science, locked up creature, and he's going to call the mayor, who's completely unreceptive to any answers to real things. He doesn't. He doesn't want the truth. And he shows up. They're telling him there's a creature locked behind this door, a very that, deadly creature. And without anyone saying anything, the mayor just opens the door and walks in. It's like, oh, there's nothing inside here. They didn't try to stop him. He just literally opens the freezer door and there's a pool of goo. And he's like, this is it. I don't know what you're doing, Lutz, but I'm done with your, your Tom tomfoolery yes. with this bean. These hijinks. <laughs> they don't have a very good relationship. No, they don't. It seems like, even though he's referred to as Detective Mortimer Lutz, that he is the captain of the police. I mean, he deals directly with the mayor. And Laurie is aghast at this reaction from the mayor. And it's one of the best lines. <laughs> Potatoes. Around here, that means big, but which once again I don't understand. But anyways, Lutz and Lori leave, and they see goo outside on the sidewalk, and so they just bolt. We do have to do a cutaway scene, and you finally address these sweeper protesters. The the committee, yeah, committee, sweeper committee for sweeping out smut. Three men who don't want a massage parlor. 
they decide the best how they decide the best way to deal with a massage parlor coming to a town. Well, I love it. They're sitting out. It's the middle of the night because we find out it's 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 at least midnight by this point. Yeah, these guys have been picketing in front of this empty space. That's going to be a massage parlor. And they're just like, we don't want this in our town. We don't want this in our town. And sort of the leader of the three men, Arn, he just, out of the blue, he goes, you know what, guys? We just burned this place to the ground. <laughs> I mean, I mean, they jumped from like picketing. <laughs> to like, let's burn to, it. To arson. They just <laughs> jump right to arson. Break into the place. And he says, first we have to find, you know, something that will burn, which is just dumb because there's just cardboard boxes and moving debris every, every thing that would be kindling I, to start a major arson fire lays all around all that place is is a bunch of stuff to burn and it's a, it's a setup to separate the people and to make a joke once again about sex and people who are hypocrites about this type of protest exactly it's just not as clever as Frank Zappa because the leader arm he goes through and he finds some playboys he's going keep one the being or beings yeah. start grabbing them. Two of the guys get taken. Arn figures, oh, you know, the other guy's got scared. He sneaks out. Yeah. He decides to leave. And as he leaves, this is where we find the being has some sort of tentacle. Never seen this before. Or tentacle or its tongue. Tongue or something. It, it Appendage that's it now It comes tacky. out of nowhere and grabs <laughs> Arn and pulls him. Which I don't know how it does this. It pulls him through this plate glass window storefront. So... Somehow it shot its tentacle out the window without breaking it and pulled him back through, breaking it. Not sure how that works. This thing's powers just are very... very Vacillate constantly in this movie. I think fluid might be a good word for it. After that, we go to the party, which I'm just going to say it. This is the most white people party of all time. It's like all these middle-aged people, and they brought in some okay opera singer to sing. Beautiful Dreamer. It's a very lavish party. It's so of a certain era. All the males I noticed were wearing <laughs> ruffled shirts. And I must have missed that point in time where the ruffled tuck shirt was the garb of men <laughs> of money and leisure at that time. <laughs> they were from a different time. But what's great is as this is going on, the mayor's coming home after dressing down Lutz. Yeah. He gets home. He doesn't want to be at this party. He and his wife do not have a very good relationship. So he's sitting in the garage taking belts from his flask, which is just great. (laughs) And as he's doing that, he looks ahead and there's some more boxes. There's a lot of just boxes in this town stacked (laughs) willy-nilly. And you see like tentacle stuff flopping behind it. And there's clearly a being. And he looks and he, whoa, (laughs) I'm getting out of here. He doesn't open the garage. He just backs through it. And that alerts his wife. So she walks out, she sees the garage doors blasted out, and she's kind of going, what the heck? And then you see this tentacle thing come up and grab her by the throat, and she lets out. As the opera singer is hitting a note, so does she, and she's gone. (laughs) So she doesn't come to a a nice end. No. They don't treat her character well. No. In the dream sequence, they they make her out to be a witch. There's a fairly poor view of women in this movie. Yeah. I think. There's only one moment where Laurie takes matters into her own hand. Otherwise, women in this movie are treated pretty poorly. I think. And it's really interesting because as a male, that's my takeaway too. And yet, it was written by a 26-year-old female. After that, you find out what happened to Laurie and Lutz yes. running away from the diner. They are driving to Dr. Garson at the site. And this is where he's pointed out, I found this network of underground tunnels. Also, FYI, light could kill this thing. I've had time in the last three days to figure that out. He was camping. He just had his camping gear. He didn't have a whole bunch of stuff. But he... The room that he's in looks like a kid's room. Like, if you look in the background how they decorated it, apparently the bean's coming back every single night. Anyways, there's a hole. They turn from the hole... And the bean rises. It grabs Dr. Garson. Lori is the most heroic. And she, it's a tentacle, a tongue, an appendage, whatever. She chops it. They grab Dr. Garson. Lutz takes a shotgun, shoots down to the hole. I just think it's so brilliant. The doctor says, it's using this hole. It goes in and out of here. Yeah. It comes here during the day to get away from light. And they kind of walk over and they all turn their back on yeah. the hole. This is leading to the climax they head to the police station, and even though Lori, 
who is the first one to face the creature. No one else, like Mortimer loves every time he runs into the creature, he just runs from it. She actually chops off the tentacle. He thinks, this is dangerous for you. I'm going to lock you in a jail cell Yes, <laughs> It makes no sense. It's a common horror trope where you're like, you know what? I think I'm going to do the right thing by locking you up in a place that you can't leave. The doctor somehow discovered light destroys this thing. So what they do is they go to the police station and grab a bunch of guns. Police usually have high-powered lights. Yeah. The whole idea of the light destroying it... It's a red herring. It just goes away. When Lori does leave, it's resolving this subplot that it's really not articulated very well. She sees Marge Smith, this woman who's walking around. It's considered the crazy woman of the town. Yes. Her son, Mike, her kid, Michael, has disappeared. Lori's a true hero of this. She faces the beast... And she helps this woman who's in complete depression and crazy because of the death of her child. She brings her to the home and she sees goo everywhere. And she asks, this is a concern. Yeah. And Marge <laughs> says, don't worry, that's Michael. Is Michael the bean or one of the beans? Gave me Almost gave me a <laughs> brain ache trying to figure that out. That Mortimer Lutz encounters that green goo over and over and over. And at no point is he like... Well, this is problematic. Lori sees it at the woman's house, and she goes, dude, you can't go in there. Yeah. You need to stay away from her here. She knows what that means. Mortimer Lutz is just like, this guy on my Wranglers. I'm going to go home and go to sleep now, because he's a terrible cop. Lori would have been a better cop. So, Michael, we leave to the ending final battle. So you want to walk us through that final battle well, with the bees. It's so genius, because Garson tells more that in his camping tests... He, he's figured out all this stuff. Dr. Garson all of a sudden has culminated three days worth of information into this final theory. The only explanation I have, it's some sort of genetic freak. Mutation in its chromosomes must have severely damaged it at conception. Continuous exposure to high radiation levels has created something completely unfamiliar to us. It's conceivable it can use higher percentage of its brain... But at the same time, completely psychotic. And out like higher percentage of brain, who cares? If a squirrel can use a higher percentage of its brain, it's still not gonna be that smart, you know? It's still gonna be a stupid squirrel. They're driving back out there, the being leaps on the back of the truck. All it does is kind of jump in the back and kind of bang at the window. Earlier in the movie we saw we saw what it could do. It just can't do it here. Garson's shooting at it through the back. He's like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And Mort says, jump. So they jump <laughs> out of this Bronco or whatever. And then Lutz takes, you call it, the, I think, the movie shot, where it shoots a shotgun at the tank, and the truck blows up in yeah. only, only a movie way it can. So they go into the office to call for reinforcements or something. From the police station that they were just at where they could ask the police to show up with them. And a cat jumps out and they both burst out into this really over-the-top laugh. Martin Landau was probably the scariest thing in the movie at that moment. (laughs) He looks like a freaking maniac the way he's laughing. This is where we get deep, deep, deep into the alien ripoff. Yeah. They go into this warehouse. We've talked about this over and over I don't know what it takes to get rid of nuclear waste. Apparently in this movie, you dump it into an aquifer. But in this warehouse, there are these big tanks. And they're filled with cyanide. And we know because there's a sign above the (laughs) tanks. And it says, danger, cyanide. Why do they go into that warehouse? (laughs) They go into the warehouse. They kind of look around. And then they're like, nothing here. And they go to leave. And Garson goes, we can't leave the cat. (laughs) I mean, isn't that a common horror trope where, like... Especially at that time. You take rationality out and say, I'm going to put my life at danger. I know the being, although we killed it, you know, this is where it lived. I'm going to put my life in danger for a a cat. Especially at the time, 1980, if you're familiar with the movie Alien, the cat plays part. And this is where we get really... The warehouse is the stand-in. I think at some point there's even kind of a, a clanging sound, like when Harry Dean Stanton's walking yeah. through. It's just a fabulous scene. This, not so much. So the lighting, everything in this is straight from Alien. You know, it's 
an hour and 16 minutes we're getting this glimpses movie, and we finally see the full bean and it looks like you said potato ice I took another take on it you, you went a different route <laughs> it has that glistening very aliens with its teeth mm-hmm. it's glistening it attacks Garson it dismembers him and then there's I don't know what's I think it's supposed to be the dismembered head of Garson Mortimer looks up Garson's head is there and he bl- he's looking at him and he blinks Mort is really good at fleeing from things that are tough because he just yells and, and really we've been working our way up to the point where he finally faces something because he does he he runs from everything yes. he screams at this point because I don't know what's going on and then we get again very confusing powers from this thing because it engages Mort in you know fisticuffs and it's beating the hell out of him it's, it's just throwing him around but unlike everybody else it just bites his leg I call it the Bruce Campbell moment He's just taking a beating, like Bruce Campbell. Yeah. Although it's, I'll, I'll take Bruce Campbell yeah. t- taking a beating over Rex Coltrane. That's that's just me. But they have this cat and mouse, and I don't know why. Because again, the being has shown these powers; it can just tear this guy apart. Mort goes, you know what? I I remember these tanks of cyanide are over there, and and again, let's just say. You don't need cyanide for this thing. You need just a strong flashlight. Yeah. Light kills this thing. Yeah. You could just turn all the lights on in, in the in the warehouse. End of but, story. Yes. But no, he, he goes for one of the most dangerous things. He just runs over. He, as he's getting beat up, thrown around, he comes across a gas mask, of course. So he puts a gas mask on and just opens every tank of cyanide. The place starts getting filled with cyanide. I imagine it's very caustic and this would be a dangerous thing to do. By the way... Who knows what it does to this thing that was, you know, mutated by yeah. radiation. It could be like a mogwai. Yeah. You just start multiplying. If you, you, you this would, it could feed off this. Yes. So he, run, he runs over. He's like, I got it now. I got it all figured out. I'm Mortimer Lutz. I'm, and he grabs onto the strap and he hits the button. Yeah. It starts slowly raising him towards the roof. Meanwhile, the being comes over. Again, this thing has proven time, you know, many times that it can do crazy things. And it just runs over and watches him slowly going. And it's just looking up at him like, ah, I've been been foiled. I've been I've been foiled by this guy. There's nothing I could do. But then, of course, the beam jumps. pulls him down and rips off the mask. And so apparently that cyanide gas really wasn't cyanide gas because Detective Lutz has no problem breathing it. And he decides... I there's other bottles besides cyanide gas of sulfuric acid, so I'm just gonna <laughs> just, grab these bottles of sulfuric acid, throw it at the bean, just, and there's a pole. I'm gonna beat the. I'm gonna just try grab random jars. Yeah. He's just grab these random jars. Like here's some here's some sulfuric acid. You know here's some pickled okra. <laughs> He's just throwing stuff that the being the being's like ah this isn't very cool. This does the bean in and he, the, the pipe he, the pipe he just beats on the bean with the pipe. And the bean, between the sulfuric acid, maybe some of that cyanide gas, that apparently doesn't bother Detective Lutz anymore. <laughs> and the pole, the bean dies, and then it Blo- looks like it sparks and it explodes. I mean, it's up. hard. Blows up. It blows up. He beats it up with a pipe. So we cut happens? to the top. It's yeah. morning. It's morning in Pottsville, Idaho. <laughs> Mortimer Lutz. We're outside again. Big, big yeah. wide shot. Mortimer Lutz climbs onto the roof. And he's up there and he just raises his fist in victory. It's a rocky moment. Yes, it's a rocky moment, which makes no sense because we've been watching and it wasn't just one being. There's these like beings yeah. everywhere. I would have personally went Kingdom of the Spiders. And like <laughs> when he got up there, all of a sudden it was just there were beings running willy nilly <laughs> through the city streets and like everything was burning. So he raises his fist and then the DJ, he tells us there's another storm coming. And then we see... And we see an, another hole with another the bean's hand. And so it's a weird ending where they defeat the bean. Then the credits were odd too because they do a very much an American graffiti ending where they, they tell what happens to each of the characters. Boy, and I, I have it. The mayor's wife, Virginia Lane, was never found. Garson Jones donated to medical science by Mayor Lane. Uh, <laughs> the mayor went on to be the first potato farmer in the White House. A joke at... Jimmy Carter at the time was the first peanut yep. farmer. It's just great to know that this completely corrupt mayor, bad person, is going to be president. ascends to the throne of president. Oh, Lori, you know the only one who actually showed some spine. And yeah. some, she's now waitressing in Akron, Ohio. Marge Smith, 
She was last seen looking for her son Michael in Modesto. I throw out the fact that the credits, the ending scene of telling where everybody was, that was just like American Graffiti, which takes place in Modesto, California. And Mortimer Lutz, he moved to Hollywood and became a stuntman. Uh, that says it all right there to me. You know, <laughs> of the men, one becomes president, the other becomes a stuntman. While the two women are basically, they're stuck in time. They don't grow anymore. They aren't allowed to grow. Part of me that was like, came away from that a little angry. Just the idea that the two women, their stories didn't grow and yeah. blossom. Do you recommend this movie, Do Michael? I recommend this movie? Um, no, we, we've talked about this. This movie is terrible. And we've also talked, sometimes you have bad funny. This isn't bad funny. This is bad and infuriating. The only thing I can say, and we've gone over this, is we kind of came up with a list of, of holiday horror movies. Yes. It's like Halloween's a very easy one. There's Christmas. There's, I think we even found Thanksgiving. I mean, you Oh, could, yeah. We just looked at that Thanksgiving movie. It's with... Body by Jake. Jake uh, Steinfeld. Home Sweet Home. Yes. Uncle Sam for Fourth of July. So if, if you're Christmas. trying to fill out your horror movie bingo card or your sci-fi movie bingo card... Hey, at least you got an Easter movie. Otherwise, this movie is... It's bad. I kind of felt a little... <laughs> this is my fault, is what I'm trying to say. This is all my fault. <laughs> and I'm not going to put complete fault on yours. <laughs> I enjoyed drinking Hot Diggity's Stop. Double Indian Pale L. We have like four of them lined up now. Yes, the, um, the Hot Diggity is delicious. Oh, this, it, this is a great beer. Yeah, if you're a fan of the Indian Pale L. On a hot summer day, this is really refreshing. Mother Earth does some great beer. I'm, I'm a fan of theirs. This, this is nice. I like that they're, you know, I used them for this. Because they're in Idaho. Idaho. They have a brewery <laughs> in Idaho. Also the diggity because the the being dig, yep. dig a bunch of holes. Dig a bunch tunnels. of holes. You know, I can't necessarily say I dug the movie. Yeah. I dig talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> I could not recommend this movie either. <laughs> I drove through southeast Idaho. The United States has a very large nuclear testing lab in, in there. And there is a historic site called ERB-1, which is the Experimental Breeder Reactor. And you could go and take a tour. And you could see how nuclear energy, what it does, and you know some of truths. I don't think nuclear radiation will turn you into a mutant. I have my own theory that Marge Smith and Detective Lutz Michael was their love child. He turned into a mutant. And that's why out of everybody, he knows to go after Lutz. But he never, as his father figure, he never really kills Lutz. He just kind of nibbles on him and throws, you know, he shows up at his house and throws a bed at him. <laughs> he has the power to dismember other people. But for some reason, for Lutz, he as he never really goes full on against him when he has the opportunity. So I have my own theories, but that took several Watching. I think that's the hop diggity talking. It might be the hop diggity talking. <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense, even my theory, but I, the movie does it. it. It makes me feel worse that you put that much thought into a movie I picked. It's just bad writing. The movie has a cult following. I guess you could have a drinking game. Every time Let's delivers a deadpan line. That's all he does. That's all he does. I think Bob Newhart said he was a little too deadpan for me. We watched it. If you've got any anything to add, we drank some beer. Yes, <laughs> yes I, that's a life well lived. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and remember, hot diggity or uh, Mother Earth, just about anything. They're a solid brewery all around. All right. Well, this is Beer and B Movies. I'm Jason. And I'm Michael. Nuclear radiations have their novel way of causing injury, but it's neither mysterious nor inescapable. Radioactivity is dangerous, but to say that it's deadly, serious, is as misleading as giving a flat answer to the question, how high is up?